Hey, welcome to More Than Bread, a podcast that gives you, gives us a momentary connection with another reality. Isn't that kind of cool? Paul once said that sometimes what we can't see is even more real than what we can see. And, and I think we could say the same thing about our ears. What we can't hear is often more real than the noise that fills our ears. So for a few moments today, as you listen to my words, and more importantly, much more importantly, God's words, we're giving our ears to the one whose very words bring life. We're giving our ears to the words of God. And and if you've heard me say it once, you've heard me say it multiple times. In fact, if you've been with me with this podcast since the beginning, you probably heard it hundreds of times. Life requires more than bread, more than stuff. Life comes when the Spirit of God breathes life into the people of God through the Word of God. So this time that that we spend together is not in vain. It has great value. So my name is Dan, your host, your Bible reader and Word of God listener. I love being a pastor and a husband and a father and a papa, but my identity is in Christ. I'm a child of God listening for the whisper of my Father. And in this episode, number 228, we're listening to God's words found in Philippians chapter 4 as we head into the last chapter of Paul's letter to his friends in Philippi, this letter of joy from prison. And here's the beginning of Paul's closing chapter. I'm reading Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9 from the New International Version. Paul writes, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown... Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. In fact, I plead with Udiah and Sinoch. I I plead with him to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companions, help these women since they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. And just a pause Paul's showing the personal side of his ministry here, and he's saying, these these two women have been at my side, they've been on my team, and there's something dividing them right now, and I need them to not be divided. Would you do everything you can to help them be of the same mind in the Lord? And here's a good place to start, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these kinds of things. Meditate on such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Here's where I want to focus for a few moments. These few verses contain one of my favorite life hacks. Sometimes life is more difficult than you hoped, right? I know so many people are going through hard times right now. God doesn't always take those difficulties away, but he has given us practical ways to make tough times better. He gives us a better way. Uh, One of the tough things about our day today is that we live in an age of anxiety. (laughs) Uh, A few years ago, our family vacation took place on Leech Lake in Minnesota. Now, Minnesota calls itself the land of 10,000 lakes, and some of those lakes are like the ponds at Harvest Fields, not not Leech Lake. My goodness, Leech Lake is the third largest lake in Minnesota with 195 miles of shoreline and a depth up to 156 feet. So so one of the days, we decided to rent a pontoon boat and, and spend the day on the lake. We're exploring islands and coves and swimming, and 
And, and that day we awoke to a forecast of storms. But I'm thinking, no problem. This is a big lake. We'll just avoid the storms. We went to the resort to get our cruise ship, our pontoon boat. And as we walked on the boat, I realized why I had gotten such a good deal. It was old. <laughs> it was so old. But it had the biggest engine on the dock, and we wanted to do some tubing, so we took it and headed out for our day. For part of the day, we were able to avoid the storms. I would see one in the distance, check out its path on my smartphone, and just go the other way. But then we decided to cross the sea. I I could see dark clouds in the distance, but I thought we could miss them. I thought wrong. (laughs) We got about halfway across the lake, and I I knew it was wrong. Darkness was coming our way, and it was big, and our little pontoon was not going to make it not going to make it to safety before the darkness descended upon us. So I gathered my family around me and pulled out my portable communion set for what was practically potentially our last act together. Okay, it wasn't quite that dramatic, but I did make the offhanded suggestion that they might want to put on their life vest. I saw an island in in the lake about a mile or two away, and I thought we, we could make it. But the storm beat us there, first the wind and then the rain and then the waves. And I got to be honest, I was a little bit worried. But we made it to a protected bay on the other side of the island, and we spent a half hour or so there. When it seemed like the storm had passed, I thought, okay, let's go home. And and so we came around the the other side of the island. I I could see another dark black storm cloud far off to the side. I prayed, Lord, help us. (laughs) But man, it hit us before we even knew it. It came so fast. And, And we can laugh now, but there were some moments in the next 40 minutes that simply were not funny, like waves that were four or five feet high, or I don't know, maybe 45 feet high. (laughs) Like every time this old pontoon boat would go up over a wave and it would get airborne and then come down with a bang. And my biggest fear was that the pontoons were going to break off the boat. We were going as fast as we could, but then I thought, well, maybe if I slow the boat down, we won't go up so high and come down so hard. So I slowed it down, and it dipped into a huge wave that came up and covered the whole 20 feet of the boat. On a sunny day, we would have laughed. My family didn't even smile. We were aiming towards the cove I thought contained the resort, but as we pulled in and realized it was the wrong cove, another storm hit. This one was filled with golf ball-sized hail and an immediate 20-degree drop in the temperatures. We pulled up to the shore, jumped out, and huddled under the eaves of a little shed, shivering so hard our teeth were chattering. That's the picture that comes to my mind as I ponder life in an age of anxiety. I mean, sometimes it seems like nothing goes the way you planned and you're left to navigate what might be coming, and sometimes does and sometimes doesn't. And sometimes you don't even know what's coming, but you can imagine it. And you're holding on for dear life internally, if not externally. And maybe you even feel responsible for others on your boat. You're doing your best, but either your best is never enough or you know that one more wave, man, it's just going to just gonna take you under. And, and that's what life is like. And so when you read stuff in your Bible, like Matthew 6, 25, where Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Or Jesus, again, in Luke 12, 25 through 26, where he said, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Or Paul in our text today in Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything. Isn't it true that sometimes you hear stuff like that and you're thinking, holy cow, if you're not anxious, you just don't know the reality of life. 
You're not reading the news about Israel and Gaza or Myanmar or Ukraine and Russia. You don't know or you don't care about the people starving or the kids who don't have families because if you knew what was going on in the world, you'd, you'd be anxious too. Now, anxiety hits all stratas of culture, right? Young mothers are anxious about parenting, and boomers are anxious about retirement, and Gen X is anxious about parenting their elderly parents and teenage kids all at once. But in reality, the statistics suggest that millennials and Gen Z are the most stressed generations in history. 10 to 15% of millennials have an officially diagnosed anxiety disorder double the percentage of boomers, 30% of working millennials are classified with general anxiety, 61% of college students experience frequent anxiety. According to a Penn State University study, anxiety is well ahead of depression as the most common mental health concern, but it goes younger as well. 38% of girls ages 13 through 17 and 26% of boys have an anxiety disorder, young teenagers. In 1985, the Higher Education Research Institute at UCLA began asking income college freshmen if if they felt overwhelmed by all they had to do during the previous year. In 1985, 18% said yes. A couple of years ago, it was 41%. Now, let me pause to make sure you do not hear what I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say that life is, is easy or even should be easy. I mean, sometimes life is so difficult been talking with people lately who are going through such hard times. I'm, I'm not going to give you a two-minute life hack that will take that away, but I, I do want to suggest that there may be a better way in the midst of the tough time. I, I'm, I'm not going to tell you that if you struggle with anxiety or depression that you just don't have enough faith. We all need to grow in faith. But I, I'm not going to tell you that God just doesn't love you to, enough to bless you. Some of Some of the most godly and impactful Christians I know wrestled with depression and anxiety their whole lives. Job, Jeremiah from Scripture, Spurgeon, William Coper, Sheila Walsh, and Voskamp. Jared Wilson was a pastor at Harvest Church in California. Great church, healthy church. As someone who wrestled with anxiety and depression, he was an advocate for those suffering from mental health issues. And He actually started a nonprofit called Anthem of Hope because he believed that the hope of Jesus always gets the last word. One week he led the memorial service of a woman in their church who committed suicide, and and then not long after that he did the same. And don't buy into the misconception that, that Christians are immune to mental illness, that wrestling with anxiety and depression is for immature Christians. Too often we've written off mental health issues and and turned our back on those in need. I'm not saying don't talk about it. I just want to say don't get used to it. Don't accept it as a forever normal. Jesus said he's come to make all things new, not always now. And and I don't understand the mystery of that, why he doesn't just make it all new now. But I I know that one day he will, that, that the glory ahead for you is far greater than the trouble you find yourself in now. So when Jesus says, don't worry about your life, and Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, if you can't hear that as a command, can you at least for the moment, can you at least hear that as a one-day, someday promise? What you're going through is not forever. You know, if you're well-read in psychology, you've probably heard the term habituation. The, The idea is that when something new is introduced into our environment, we're very aware of it at first. But then over time, we get used to it, right? You you know what I'm talking about. 
So for instance, you get a new tattoo or a belly ring, and for some period of time, that's all you can see. That's all your mom or dad can see. But after a while, we get used to it. When we moved into our our house that we raised our kids in 25 plus years ago, we we had a, a list. Lynn had a list of all the things that needed to be repaired or remodeled because we just couldn't stand the sight of it. Or at least she couldn't. <laughs> 20 years later, when we sold our house, most of those things were still undone. We got used to it. And, and see, the same thing kind of happens in our spiritual life. We habituate. We get used to stuff. We get used to certain attitudes and behaviors, certain problems and issues. We settle into a routine of the maintenance of doing okay. But but the power of the Bible combined with the breath, with the insight of the Holy Spirit, just it gives us new sight. We we begin to regain our spiritual discomfort. We get unused to stuff. We dehabituate. See, I think God wants some of us to dehabituate from what if worry. <laughs> what if worry is like it's like using God-given creativity to imagine every bad thing, right? In her book entitled Worrying a Literary and Cultural History, Frances O'Gorman suggests that worriers are natural storytellers. She writes, our imagination sees upon what-if scenarios with astonishing ease and ceaseless energy. What are your what-ifs? What if I'm late to the interview? What if the boss hates me? What if there really is an asteroid out there with our name on it? It it could happen. I saw the movie. All kinds of school what-ifs. What if I get an F? What if someone laughs at my clothes? What if I can't find a friend? I remember some of my childhood worries. What if a monster lives under my bed and my hand slips out from under the covers when I fall asleep? What if what if no one's home because the rapture happened and I got left behind? What if David Rito wants to beat me up? It's the what-ifs of worry. And, and see, what worry does is worry uses God-given creativity to imagine every bad thing. Some of you are creating the most amazing stories filled with the most unfortunate endings. But I don't think Jesus wants you to lose your creativity. He just wants you to imagine a different story. He wants you to imagine from the what-if of the gospel rather than the what-if of the grave. Above all else, that'll change your story. See, I think God wants some of us to dehabituate from entitlement anxiety, which is believing that I deserve better than I have. It's kind of part of that FOMO, fear of missing out. You know, a number of recent studies have shown a connection between our sense of entitlement and our experience of anxiety. Because if I don't have what I deserve, I'm anxious. I mean, isn't this at least in part at the heart of our fear of missing out? I'm entitled to what they have. It's not fair if I miss out. I think God also wants to dehabituate us from believing that I can or even need to try to fix every broken thing. You know, for some of us, the anxiety comes from realizing how much of my life and the life around me is broken and and, and believing that I should be able to fix every broken thing. When I, when that happens, anxiety develops. And again, I'm I'm not saying ignore it. I'm not saying I can cure your anxiety in four easy life hack steps. I'm saying let's not get used to it. And I'm also saying that sometimes God gives us a better way through tough times. So here's God's anxiety hack. (laughs) Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. 
Paul actually gives us four anxiety hacks at four different levels for four different levels of anxiety. And the first level, level one, is just simply pray about everything. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. I almost don't even have to pause here. This one is normal. Sometimes even people who don't believe in God will pray when anxiety hits. But but here's the deal. I'm, I'm not talking about that kind of prayer. I'm, I'm talking about the kind of prayer that says, God, I trust you. The kind of prayer that trusts God's hand in his heart, even, even if it seems disguised. Trust that he is He is able to make all things work together for your good and and trust that he desires to do what he's able to do. See, worry comes into our minds when God has gone from our minds. Worry is a memory problem. It's forgetting who God is and what he's like, forgetting that he cares about me. And listen to me, God cares about you. If you're listening, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt with all my heart, God cares about you. He's deeply interested in your life. He, he wants to help you. In 1 Peter 5, 7, Peter says, cast all your cares upon him for he, he cares for you. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9, Paul tells us that no eye has seen, no mind can imagine all the good that God has prepared for those who love him. God is for us. I mean, say that to yourself. God is for me. Whisper it. Say it out loud. Yell it. God is for me. I mean, doesn't that sound good? Your best friend may have forgotten you. Your family may be ashamed of you. Your future may look bleak, but God is for you. He's in the bleachers cheering you on. And if you're too tired to run, man, I'm telling you, he'll carry you to the finish line. If he, if he had a computer, your name would be the password. If he had a refrigerator, your first prayer would be attached by a magnet. There was a time when the God of the universe found joy in numbering the hairs of your head. I'm not trying to hype you up. I'm not even trying to help you up. I'm trying to hope you up. Pray about everything. That leads to the second level hack, which is practice gratitude. And we'll hit that one in the next episode. But for my, now, let me, let me pray for you. Father God, I just, with, with all my heart, with, with deep sincerity, I just pray for each and every person who's worrying about something right now, or, or who even is going through a, a season of, of deep anxiety. God, I, I pray that, that somehow, someway, in a way that you only know, in a way that is appropriate and personal for each person, that you would just witness to their spirit, that by your spirit you would breathe life into their spirit, breathe hope into their spirit, that in some way, shape, or form, you, you would begin to remind them that you care about them, that you care deeply about who they are and what they're going through, and, and that the best is yet to come, that this is not the end of their life, that, that every imagined difficulty is not even going to come true, but in the meantime, there's a better way. God, I pray that you would pour out your peace in the places where there's anxiety. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are a God of peace. You are the Prince of Peace, and we thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.